Hello, this is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And with our special guest for this week, Simon Fisher-Becker. Hello. Um, so today we're looking at minute 50 of about time and then we'll go into our bonus minute which i've already forgotten which minute it was that i sent simon so it'll be a nice surprise for everyone listening including ourselves we open this minute with them falling uh, onto the bed for the second time falling onto the bed there we go smash that after actually yeah a lot happens in this minute yes 50 so i'm kind of glad that it's one that we're giving for the most of this episode i mean i was kind of surprised in terms of when, when i was putting together these minutes to send over to you simon as to how basically this this these all five minutes this week are based around the sex. Like I remember this being a much shorter scene than because like the build up, yeah, the beforehand, the afterwards, and yeah. I mean, so it's a funny sequence, but it was almost like okay, that's our talking topic for a week. Yeah, yeah. it's so a, it, it, it was interesting time. watch, and to me, having not seen the film uh, uh, as a whole, I I I took it that it was. Perhaps it was the first... Uh, where do these scenes appear within the film? This is about 20 minutes after we first meet Mary for the first time, yeah. but only about 5-10 minutes after she first meets Tim, due to the whole time travel thing. Right. And we're 50, we're 50 minutes into the film, so we're nearly halfway through the film. Oh, right, yes. Uh, oh, right, okay. So it is a main... So the main purpose up to that point is for him to meet the girl for the first time and have his first structurally yeah because he yeah. he told when he learned he could time travel he said for him it was always going to be about love right and, and then so, so we get to see the how he failed with margot robbie yes and then it's he meets mary the first time this is the okay. third time he's met her but she the first time she has met him okay i i thought it was very well done mm, yeah uh, to be honest uh and there was a degree of what i was saying in the previous episode about Setting up the suggestion of what's going on. Right. And then, and then close the door sort of thing. So there was the initially how they sort of fell on the bed mm-hmm. out of shot. Didn't need anything else. And then the next shot is after the event. Right. <laughs> mm. and, and once and, again, I think that's fine. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I think that is the best way of doing it really. Cause you, especially I think we said last episode or the episode before that, you know, this is good for the characters as to not have us see them as sexual objects you know as 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 to see them as characters and possibly even whoever tim's telling this story to that's a private part of his life he's not gonna he's not gonna tell us the details you know so we don't see the details it was we led up to it it happened i went back and did it again that's all we need to know (laughs) and the effect which possibly more than we already need to know if he's telling the story to his yeah if you're telling the story to his kids, then there's a problem here anyway. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, it sort of depends who we are, I guess. How I oh my goodness, problem. imagine if he imagine if he was, like, okay, so semi-spoiler, Simon, but nothing too massive, really. Imagine if he was telling this to this kid, and he had to tell his kid, okay, for you to be born, I had to kill my dad. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, if he's telling his son, yeah. he might, he might, unlike his father, want to warn him. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> yeah, so it's just, just, just to, just to explain to you, Simon, slightly, in the ways with his time travel, in, later in the film, his dad dies, right. but he can go back in time to see his dad. But once he, his wife's looking at conceiving another child, he can't go back in time to before the conception without his child changing. Right. Potentially. Because it was that yeah. specific sperm at that yes. specific moment, yeah. Um, I understand. So, so yeah, so it is basically have a child or kill your dad, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Which I feel is a moral dilemma, which they, they, I mean, it works well in the film and it, it doesn't need longer than it did, but it could have been. Yeah. You know, that, that could have been a large part of, of a film. Yeah. The, the debate and the, the concepts between that. And that's what's so great about this is there's so many elements which you go, this could be an entire film in itself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I think shows how well written it is. That every... Same with when he did Love Actually, really. Most of the stories in Love Actually, you go, could have been their own thing, okay, yeah. this could have been a whole film. Once again, especially the whole story with Liam Neeson and the little boy is... <laughs> I want the feature film. I want a TV series based around it. You know, I think it was a wonderful part of the film and the best part of the film. But this is also coming from someone who, for some reason, watched Love Actually in the middle of March recently. So <laughs> I, I, I was having a Richard Curtis watch through, but I, I think, I think Love Actually, even though it is a definitely Christmas film, is not too Christmassy as to feel too bad if you're watching it in the middle of the year. Because mm. Christmas was a late detail into Love Actually. They, they originally didn't have it set at Christmas at all. Huh. As a, as a little little fun fact there that may or may not be fun. I don't really understand how to measure the funness of facts. The funness of facts. I quite like that. Yeah. There's a title for this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless we come up with something like incredible. Right. Like, I become stupid again and don't know what Britney Spears looks like. <laughs> so then Mary says, well done. Some people make a real mess of it the first time. And Tim goes, amateurs. Once again, that is such a good good laugh moment <laughs> yes. in the film it's, 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 it's in both the trailers yeah. but it's such a, a good thing there well, once again it's like I, I'm kind of seeing here why we didn't have that pyjama deleted scene Robert Yeah. because I mean there are great parallels here but I guess it's the same thing this works to an better extent. yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't tell whether the pyjama deleted scene was only so good because it was new content <laughs> for me whether I was watching going well this is amazing because I hadn't seen the deleted scenes until recently or whether it was actually, would actually have been good fitting in with the rest of the film. I'd be tempted to sit down and edit it in. I might do that. Mm. <laughs> well, it, it would be interesting, which I think you said you might have a go at, but I'm I'm also happy to have a go at, in editing a version of About Time that is just Tim's version, well, just Mary's version of it, yeah. you know, without Take without all of his going there, going back in time, like just what's actually canon. <laughs> you know? Well, you know what I mean. Technically yeah. it's all canon, but, you know, what what is... Then we're only a few well, minutes in here. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Probably not miss too much. So Tim says, "Could you give me one second?" Sure. Once again, I kind of, I kind of wonder what's going through people's minds in these deleted moments where Tim just walks off. Like he's weird. I mean, he could have just. <laughs> yeah. But once again, he's not really worried. He knows it's going to be right. deleted. So then Tim goes back again, which once again it's like you know he he's he's risking it here. <laughs> you know. He, he did good. Oh, he can always um, go back a fourth time if it goes badly. So. Yeah. So he then goes back and says, "I could, I couldn't wait." Okay, throws open the curtain the room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found that funny. Yeah. She's not even and, fully yes, in her pajamas, and he's already removing yeah. his jacket. Yeah. Yeah. This is the point where it is very forward. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I love that camera movement though, when it cuts to the bed and then sort of. Once again, it's just a good cut. And this, so this whole thing here, which is something which is 
which has sort of confused me as to the rules of time travel, is Tim is now tired out, right? Yes. So what does that say to his physical body with time traveling? Well, his physical body, I think he went back to the physical body he had before. But he's putting a lot of effort in this time, so it's going to wear him out. But I, mean, I feel like the gag when she says, so once is enough. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, the, I, I felt like the gag was he'd done it several times and she didn't know. There's, there's probably some so, physical wear and tear, even, even if it's psychosomatic for him doing this yeah, three yeah, times in a row. It's gonna, yeah. It's gonna be tiring. See, because I always wonder, just a, a slight tangent hop, is how does the doctor deal with jet lag? <laughs> and the equivalent of, because, uh, it's yeah. quite fatiguing. But, uh, in the context of this scene, I took it that, that they had a particularly energetic episode. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's why he was knackered. But I think that it, it does still work. For it's that. also... Yeah. The joke I, works anyway. It works anyway. And yeah, even if he's tired out from that, and then his that's not completely fair, yeah. is a callback to the, the other thing. Yes. You know, I think it's, it's fine as a mix of both. But it, but it also highlights that she may be a lady of more experience. Yeah, maybe. Yes, and not so much a lady. But well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an example of how you could interpret anything really any way you like. But I, well, I yeah, like it very much. And I, just loved, I love the whole thing with them tangled in. Yeah, it doesn't in, really suit the Mary character. This is when she's first met him. Yeah. Like, they've literally only just kissed for the first time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't suit Mary at all. Or it. this tells us more about her than other scenes do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just considering how cynical she was of Joanna. But I think when pe- the people are watching it for the first time, I don't think it really twigs to them that Mary's only met him like five minutes ago in the film. Yeah, because we've seen I it I think it for flows well. Well, yeah, because we've seen them together and we've seen them hit it off really well in three different occasions. I, I think The fact that it's only been the one is fine. I think the way when he comes into her room the first time and she's sitting in the pajamas and she's like, it's like she's playing at being sexy, but she's wearing the pajamas. It feels like she's almost as awkward as him, and maybe she's not that experienced. But also, it could be she just gets nervous every time, because maybe she's used to one-night stands, and now she kind of likes this guy after walking home with him. Yeah, so she's kind of scared as to what it could turn into. Yeah. If, yeah. Well, that makes sense. And obviously, I, I realize I missed Tim's first line, because I went straight onto the so once is enough. Tim says, best night of my entire life, and now I've got suspicion I'm going to have the best sleep of my entire life. Yeah. Which once again, it's 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 a it's a it's a good line, yeah. and I think it's great that we do cut straight from this to them being a couple. Yeah, to the montage. Yeah, and actually, in terms of this is this is just something which I've I I put into practice into well well to go from the first kiss to the sex scene quite quickly was something I put into practice when I was writing Unstable. People probably didn't notice, but I was quite quite proud of this directorial move that. When the two main characters, listeners, if you aren't, if you haven't seen my film Unstable, please watch it. I've referenced it enough on the show that I might as well ask people to watch my film now. It's on YouTube. Um, yeah. So when Adam and Sophie first kiss, I then cut straight to the drugs on Adam's table and him high, and that was to sort of show how he was getting his pleasure elsewhere. You know, that sort of cut. Whether yeah. that was clear to anyone, I don't know. But once again, I feel like when it's unnoticeable and subliminal, maybe that's better. I don't know. It, it was it was one of the few things where I wrote and I was like oh, I'm proud of that. <laughs> it's like, but yeah. yeah. So I I, th- I think it is definitely a cliche with romantic films to go from the first kiss to a sex scene, or to go from romantic rising to yeah. that. 
so yeah, when we get to the when we cut to the to the flash forward, we have the song "How Long Will I Love You" playing where we hear the start of it. Well, before yeah. we get to the song, because that's a lot of next minute too. So next week, the visuals on the three bed shots are great. I yes. don't think we really covered yeah. on it because the first time they're like laying very nicely covered by the quilts. Yeah. The second time the bed's a mess, quilts on the floor, but they're still on the bed wrapped in sheets. Third time we cut to a bl- an empty bed, and after the camera has to move down to find them. So apparently, in no, I was just going to say I really mm. liked that. Yeah, so that mm. third time was definitely energetic. It got yeah. So so apparently yeah. they were originally going to use a pillow to cover up Donal, and they ended up changing it to a duvet very last minute. And Richard Curtis said that's what saved the entire shot. He said he probably wouldn't have used it if they'd used a <laughs> pillow. It, it would have been a bit odd, I think. It probably wouldn't have noticed it too much, but like comparing it to this, it would it would have been different. We would have noticed because she's got some weird pillows in this room. Yeah, so. that's true. There's no just plain white, unless it was just the actual pillow, I guess, from the bed. Yeah, the two the two still on the bed. But then it would be kind of kind of weird to. I'm not going to start to wonder as to how the how and why the pillow would move from there to the floor. <laughs> and I think that's, <laughs> that, that that would lead to more questions that. On a show right. that's trying to remain you, clean. You will, you will learn. <laughs> <laughs> on a show that's trying to remain clean, we're probably not at liberty to discuss. <laughs> Once again, this, this would be an interesting thing about podcast censorship. How far in conversation like this can you go before it needs to be marked as explicit? Whereas, because language is obviously obvious and clear. Probably I think we're probably, because we haven't used any vulgar no. terms. And, I, and you'd assume that people listening to this have probably seen the film as well. I think that's probably a fair assumption for the most yeah. part. We, we, we might have a few yeah, listeners think, who've come along for you, I, Simon. But what you need is a few comments that are negative to, because the, that'll get more attention. Yeah, we Ooh, need to become yeah. a controversial getting... podcast. <laughs> I don't know how, <laughs> yeah. how a movie by minutes of a Richard Curtis rom-com could become controversial and would probably lead oh, to well, Emily you... unfollowing us on Twitter. But how do we do it? Yeah. This was the week to do it, and we failed. No, I, I, I think yeah. I think we get to the wedding, the most iconic scene, and talk about why we hate the entire movie. <laughs> this is a complete. Yeah, yeah hmm. that should work. Wouldn't that be brilliant though to actually just yeah to just change opinion for one episode? It's a shame yeah. we don't have an April Fool's because we'll probably have covered the whole thing by next April. Yeah, we'll unless be we end up going that. on a massive hiatus. Yeah. Who knows? Have, have we got anything more to say of of the the, the post coital scene? Or do we go straight into yeah. the montage now? To the montage. So we have How Long Will I Love You playing, which is a cover of a Waterboys song. And this is played by John Bowden, who we see briefly in shot. And I'm going to pretend that I've heard of any of those music- musicians before. <laughs> Once again, that might just be because I, I, well, I don't know what music is popular and what music isn't. Like My, my taste is pretty out there anyway. That like, I don't know. Are they artists and bands I should know of? I think I've heard of them once or twice. But maybe just from this. Other than this, I don't think I'd heard of them. Although his the Bellowhead thing sounds interesting, though. It's a eleven piece folk band. They apparently did some project where they were putting a, recording a different folk song every day and putting it on a website for a while. It's You've done so much research into this; it's incredible. <laughs> well, next week he's in. Yeah, that's montage, true. So. I guess it makes sense to search that up. I wanted to know who he was. I did more prep this week than normal. I I. I had arranged with a friend of mine, it ended up not working out, that she she hadn't seen About Time before, 
So we were going to watch it, like, she was going to get hold of it online and we were going to watch it at the same time and, like, message through it. And then something came up to so I was like, okay, I've got two hours free now. So, because I normally end up being, like, five minutes late to recordings, it was like, okay, I'm going to set everything up. I, I, I'd, I'd, like, it was about two hours before we recorded and I had all the minutes set up on the computer. I had the Blu-ray set up in case I needed to check anything on the commentary, which I haven't needed to, which is good. So, I mean, I, I really like this song. Like... Well, we could we could talk about this yeah, song sure more we next will. week. I mean, we hear we That's don't get true. any lyrics yet. This minute. Yeah, so we, the montage involves them leaving the house. Actually, Robert, visuals are your thing. I always forget. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, they are outside that place. The deli is right there. Subway stairs. Uh, I don't know if it's. I guess it's Meta Vale Station. I don't know how you say it. Which is where the montage is going to take place. Which is actually up 1.4 miles from Mary's place, which is not the. I was going to say, yeah, station, there would be a. I must say, another tube station. There are two of them quite close to where her apartment is, and this isn't one of those. But I think they wanted the. It's a very simple station because it's basically two tracks, one platform, or two platforms with a little divider. And so it's, I like it's that we do visual. actually see the busyness of the tube station in this because later on in the montage or later on in the film, I can't remember. I, I tend to remember thinking, wow, that tube station's really empty. <laughs> well, there's there's a couple of shots uh, that seem to be late at night, so it's kind of empty. And then yeah. some busy I mean, ones. I'm not, we'll I don't go to London time. that often, but it, it tends to be really busy in the tube station. Right here, there, there's a, this is just the start of it. They're coming down the escalator and running to get on a train. Platform so, I mean, two. In, in your mind, Robert, how, how much later is this taking place at this point? Um, well, they're in different outfits. So it's definitely some uh, time later. He hasn't moved in yet because there's a part of the montage that where they're carrying like luggage and stuff, which seems to be the moment he's moving in. It's soon. It's it's soon. I I do kind of like how this film sort of skims past so many things, which, as as we said, you know, could be a whole film itself or could be part of a film in themselves. Like, you know, yeah, like it it it, it's because that's life. (laughs) That's what people say. All right. Have we got any other comments on this minute, or is it time to go to our, our bonus minute? Nah, even the dialogue does is just meaningless. Oh my god, we're late, no we're not. It'll be fine. She checks her watch, and we don't know what they're late for. It doesn't matter what they're late for. We just gotta see that they're going to I, I do like, yeah, what, what we see, obviously we see it more later on in the montage, is, yeah, that they are in the tube station together, although obviously they've got separate jobs, and they're going separate ways, and so I think yeah. it, it does sort of show their relationship that they leave together, and you know. Mm-hmm. So... Simon, I've completely forgotten which minutes I sent which minute I sent you for your boat for the bonus minute this week. I'll just check. Would it be sixteen? That rings a bell. Yeah, I'm gonna check that now. But yeah, there we go, sixteen. Is that one of the Yeah, I guess I did I sent you one of the Margot Robbie minutes, did I? That's good. Yeah. I was being clever again. Yeah. Oh uh, tennis. He come he comes through a door, I think. Is the one he comes through a door and then opens a bedroom door and there's a different lady who I take to be the lady you're referring to. Yes. Uh, in blue. Yes. On the bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she stayed at their their uh, family home for the summer. Yeah. She's his sister's boyfriend's cousin. He had a bit of yeah. a crush. Yeah. Sister's boyfriend's cousin. Okay. Yeah. Which I mean, there there are more questions as to why she's staying in their family home and not with <laughs> and not with. <laughs> Her cousin. <laughs> she and Kick Out became friends. Yeah, she so. and Kick Out, his sister, hit it off really well. And this is just a brilliant minute, like the whole exchange with how he responds to her and all of that. I think it's just a great minute overall. So what, what impressions did you get of this, Simon? Uh, 
I didn't get any real impression at all other than he was uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it's, I, it's a minute yeah. after that he goes back in time and tries to yeah. fix this. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it, hang on. I, I, I did check this where I said it. I can't remember. Is this the one where he talks about if she had absolutely no hair and all of that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a great exchange, but yeah, obviously it does pay off better with the whole scene. He's, he's trying yeah. too hard. Yeah. And he, he sort of blurts out that he loves her. Yeah, and uh, and they're very well done actually. He's basically gone in and said exactly how he feels, which initially, when we're much younger, we're terrified of rejection. Yeah. 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 So in that sense, he was brave. Maybe uh, it's because he can travel back well in time. As... Maybe that's where his confidence comes from. Well, and it's taken him two months to get <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, that's true. Even though he's right, a time travel ability, it's two months. So. So, uh, does he know he can try and travel at this time? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. If he found out around New Year's, this is now that okay. right after. Yeah, okay, so, so, knowing he's got that ability will make him a little but braver. I like that he is still yeah. awkward. Like, he's still, you know, he hasn't got the confidence to know exactly what he's doing. He's just got the confidence to know that he can go back again and make it look like he does. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think the main reason I turn this over is, I mean, obviously, you don't really see it here, but is that there is a significant yeah. difference, as I said, at some point this week, with Margot Robbie as Charlotte being not being just an object almost, and not having the personality. And before, yes. I don't know why I didn't just send the introduction to Charlotte. To be honest, maybe we've. Oh, I think I've probably sent that to the person who's on as a guest for when we see Charlotte again later on. That's why. But yeah, yeah it's a... no. But it was it, it was very it was very good, uh, and and of course it. Brings into mind all sorts of remembrances of personal experiences, as well as overhearing conversations. Because when you're younger, you are influenced by your peer group or oh, yeah. older, and they tell their stories, which are probably exaggerated. Yeah. And then they think, "Oh, well, this is the way you behave," and that's when that's when trouble can happen because. You know, either the guy or the girl don't want to receive the attention in the way that they are getting it. And the only reason they're getting it the way they are is because of, um, I'm trying to be delicate conversation here, <laughs> because, because of the way they perceive things from what they've overheard yeah. or been told. I think that makes sense. Yes. Does that, did that, yeah. did that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some ways I've met a lot of, uh, young actors who've come out of college and they behave in the most extraordinary way. And it's be, it's because that's how they, their college has taught them the way they are. They should be. I, I worked for my agent for a year and the way some actors coming straight out of college talked to the agent was quite extraordinary. Huh. Quite extraordinary. Now they expect to get any work or an agent at all. I have no idea. And then that, then you could turn that on his coin for relationships. Some people behave in a certain way. You've got the lads who walk around with these strapping shoulders looking quite ridiculous, in my opinion, and they think that's the way <laughs> that they can trap a girl. They, they, the language they use, I could trap her and bed her in 20 minutes. Well, if it only takes 20 minutes, then you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so that scene was very good, I thought. I mean, even your mentioning of an agent just sort of makes me intrigued, because, and especially the way that other actors are, is I've, with, with the actor people I know, 
I've known some people, just in terms of actors that I've tried to get on board with other projects and things, I've known some people whose agents are fine with the actors finding their own work here and there and doing freelance stuff, doing stuff for free, doing stuff like that. And then other people who haven't, like, how, how have you found your, your agent to approach to doing, you know, student films and little things? Uh, to be honest, it's a discussion that uh, you should have with your agent. And there are some agents who are quite strict and they start to tell you what you can and can't do. I'm very lucky that I just dis- discuss things with my agent. And, uh, and sometimes, for example, after Doctor Who, I was invited to do conventions and initially convention organizers were contacting me via my agent, but they could be, some organizers could be very complicated. And uh, my agent found it too much work when she's got other clients to deal with as well. Yeah, and so she just passes it on to me and says, you can deal with it. <laughs> uh, and that way we uh, we negotiated a different commission rate. With that, you coming to fine. my premiere, I guess, you know, with other actors, I would have had to have contacted agents and stuff to even arrange something like that, which I'd imagine most agents would just instantly kind of say no to, I'd probably think. I I I don't want to badmouth any agents. We we can we can uh, but, even if you uh, mention stuff by name, we can bleep stuff and we can cut stuff out. <laughs> well, I can give you an example from another perspective. I was a deputy theatre manager for a theatre in uh, in Barking, which is uh, northeast London, and uh, one of my jobs was to go through the riders ah. of the contracts for different artists that would come. And these riders would very often be ten times more expensive than actually booking the acts themselves. Uh, and uh, and we were a receiving house on a on very low budget. So I used to just put a pencil through it, just sit down. <laughs> and the things they would demand, when the acts then came in and we discussed it and sort of said, oh, you apologize, we couldn't provide this, that and the other, they... <laughs> They, they weren't bothered at all. Mm. So, um, so, and then sometimes as an actor, I've done a project where they say, oh, so and so, you mustn't look in her, into her eyes. She doesn't like it when you look into her eyes. Uh. Of course, it was a load of nonsense when you met the actor. She had no problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, so agents can be, can be awkward, but because they're trying to be protective. Now, now, in your case, you made a personal contact, and you don't live too far. I, you know, is from me, so that was the main reason I was able to say yes. You know, if I'd had to do an overnight stay and whatever, then there was a likelihood I would have said no, because you probably wouldn't have had the budget to cover it, and I wouldn't have wanted to put you in that awkward position. But I also know, from my personal experience, I've had some really good feedback and help from some very lovely actors in the past and i've always said if i were ever in a position to help new talent i would hence i'm here tonight and that we're very grateful for that i hope that doesn't sound i hope that doesn't sound grand exact sense (laughs) and i think it's brilliant like you you are genuinely one of the nicest people in the in the industry that i've met like i think it's great because they're it's a lie it's a lie completely and i'll have to send you to court (laughs) If you put stuff, start spreading that. But yes, help to get into the industry. Well, if I can help, I will. If I, if I don't know how for your field, 
then I can try and put you onto somebody I might know, you know. Well, that's that's brilliant. So one one thing I'm noticing with this bonus miniature, we didn't discuss when we looked at it before, Robert, is I've looked at the entire film as being filmed handheld, but the opening shot seems to be stationary. It seems to be like it could be, you know, on a tripod or on something. When she's on the bed, you mean? Uh, no, when he first leaves the wardrobe, well, the cupboard. Oh, well, yeah, because it's in that little walkway and, like, spins around with him, right? And he walks past it. Uh, yeah, it's probably on something. I mean, I think it's fine. It's just so much of the film is handheld. Yeah. I mean, you don't notice it. I like the fact that it's handheld because, like, later on it does feel like it's almost just someone's, like, got a little camcorder and is filming it. Like, without it seeming found footage, it feels personal, it feels intimate, and I think that's that really suits the tone of the film. So, Simon, have you got any sort of final comments on this bonus minute? Well, no, I, what I liked, having not seen the film, but as a, as a little scene in itself, I liked how the character had the courage to say exactly what he felt. Yeah. I, 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 as a viewer, I appreciated that. Mm. And I thought it was very well done. So, Simon, if you could go back in time to any moment in your life and either relive it or change a little thing about it, what moment in your life would that be? It's very difficult, isn't it? Because it's the old butter. Working in sci-fi, have you had this question before? <laughs> I know. Uh, it's normally where would I go in the TARDIS. Right. But for, there's always the fear that if you go back and change something, then you might not have found the way of time travel in the first place. Right. Because you've changed the future. Mm-hmm. For the reason it was, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are times I wish on on smaller things, there's always I could have handled that better. I wish I knew I would go back uh, to about 60 seconds before I was attacked at a petrol station. Mm. So I would like... Oh, is this the bit that you detailed in your book? yeah. Yeah, uh, the uh, for for Robert's uh, information for Robert in 2009, I was attacked quite viciously. Yeah. So the reason for my mobility issues is because I have a damaged knee and a damaged vertebrae, yeah. not because I chain eat donuts. <laughs> so that would be an example of something I would like to go back and try and avoid. But yeah. having said that, if I avoided that then I wouldn't have been available for the audition to play Dora because the audition was in December. And normally in December, I'm in a Christmas show or a pantomime. So, so it is, so it's that, but what I would like to do, other things I would like to do is to go back to periods in my family history and just observe certain things. I mean, for example, my grandparents eloped uh, in 1938 and, there is the story behind that, and I would like to go back and just see whether that was, whether the story is true or not. <laughs> mm. Okay, that makes Thanks. that makes sense. So, have you got, uh, well, we already know you do because you discussed it, but have you got stuff to promote, things to talk well, about? Well, I've promoted my, my books, which you can get from Amazon. All the information is on my webpage, uh, fisherbecker.info. Uh, I'm also a regular now in a a radio as an audio production called The Hawk Chronicles. And uh, I was uh, asked to do episode 103 as uh, a guest appearance. And I've just now recorded number 138. So I've become a sort of semi-regular now, which is really nice. And it, you can get it on Spreaker and Spotify and uh, Apple Casts and all that, I think. <laughs> 
That's another. And there's lot, lots of things going on. Just uh, find me on Facebook, and I let I tend to use Facebook more as a marketing tool. Occasionally, I put something up that is um, controversial, perhaps, but just to <laughs> just to just to stimulate conversation. Uh, and of course, I have my YouTube channel where I do my vlogs. I was just going to mention yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, so there, there's lots of ways. Uh, and some of some of your ramblings on your YouTube are just really great to listen to because they're they're short enough to have on, you know, in 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 small periods. It's not like you're you're dedicating a load of time, but they're really worthwhile yeah. conversation starters and ramblings. And let me circle Didn't back to Luke's attention span. Didn't you upload a video the other day of just you laughing? Oh, it was brilliant. Yes, but it, was, it, got me, it, it got me into some trouble as well. Oh dear. No, I started doing the vlogs because lots of people were writing to me asking the same questions. Mm. So I thought, well, I'll just answer them in a vlog rather than replying to each of them. And so that's how it started. And then one or two people would then ask all sorts of different questions and not necessarily to do with Doctor Who. Uh, a lot more people than some would think are interested in current affairs or history and uh, things like that. So I try to respond. I try to have a bit of a, an education element to it, but also just to have a laugh. And going back to the laughing video, it was, there was, you know, every, all the news is doom and gloom and blah, blah, blah. Whereas people do need cheering up. So I thought, well, I'll just put 60 seconds of me laughing. <laughs> Which was... A, 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 it's effective. Your, 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 your laugh is very contagious, yeah, to be it honest. It's very effective. And uh, people have said they only have to think of that video and it makes them laugh. But I did get some... Uh, some people just felt with, uh, with people losing friends and relatives oh, yeah. that it was insensitive. So... Um, uh, I hadn't even thought of it. Like no, that but at you all. see, if you think about that sort of thing all the time, then nobody would do anything, no comedy on the planet at all. Right. Whereas, uh, whereas the reality of this, of life is you've got to laugh at yourselves and laugh at the situations you're in. <laughs> oh yeah, completely. I, I mean, I, I agree, although I don't agree with several of his jokes. I agree with Ricky Gervais' idea that there isn't a single topic that you can't make jokes of. It depends what the joke yes. is, but I think, I, yeah, I think that you know, who who are you insulting when you make fun of a bad thing? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, if you're... Always... No, no, no one's on the... Well, very few people. If you, if you ridicule... If you make a joke about Nazis, yeah. who's there defending Hitler? Yeah. You know, people still get offended yeah. by it, but it's like... You're, there'll always there'll always be an element of people who have a trigger finger to be upset. And it, uh, it, it's just there. That's just their nature. But one thing I have learned from this experience with the lockdown is having had to go through 35, 36 years of people telling me I don't have a proper job and all that sort of thing. What we have found now is entertainers and all those who work in the entertainment industry are an essential worker because everybody, uh, as we've said, they're binge watching box sets. They're relying on the television, radio and music to keep them entertained. And and we're doing something for them to look at now. And so I'm, I can say with pride now that my choice of professionalism is, is, has now been given a, a boost. We are an essential industry. And I hope they remember that once things have settled down. 
Yeah, I think that, that's one of the things I was worried. One of the things I was sort of partially worried about in terms of the industry is when you're seeing some of these shows work now and run with skeleton cast and crew. Do you think there'll be fear of people losing their jobs with the realization that they can go on without them? I think for a short period there may be that. So I, I, I think in a short period there'll be less money offered. So we have to then work out well if that's the case. Uh, are the government going to keep their technically furlough or whatever the schemes are to help actors? I think there's a lot of theatres, particularly older ones, may close. But I think uh, on the other side of the coin, there may be more opportunities for or intimate theatre, you know, venues that have 50, 60, maybe 100, 100 seaters. So I don't think the industry will die. I, there may be even a thirst for theatre after yeah. all of this. But know. I think it will get to a point that people will want one more than one character on the screen at a time. Uh, so we just have to see. Um, yes, it, it is, it is a suck it and see. Uh, and, um, uh, and not to worry too much, just provided that there is some sort of safety net until things get sorted. Personally, I think the whole coronavirus thing is going to be with us for at least another six or eight months, at least, at least. So, but maybe this lockdown thing won't be. You know, maybe we'll be the lockdown a little more relaxed. Uh, I can't, I can't see. Maybe cinemas will open sooner. I can't see too many theatres opening. No, no, no. I think that, that, that there's conversations about schools opening, like, in a month, which, well, which we, we would have been a month ago to the listeners yeah, yeah. here. It won't make much difference to me because I won't be having to go in anyway. I won't be back till September. But, yeah, it's just interesting. It'll be interesting, really, considering when this episode goes out as to how much of this is relevant. And how yeah. uh, yeah. I, I, I hope, I hope that the government don't just bring strict... You know, just go, okay, lockdown's over, everything's back to normal, because that will undo everything. Yeah. I, I, I fear what, what will happen is that even if the government says, oh, we're rolling out the lockdown, that people will just say, oh, well, the lockdown's gone, and they'll just shoot out of... That's like, kind of what's happening here. Yeah. Some states eased lockdown, some never really had it. And then the states that are still in lockdown, like in California, there's people going out and yeah. going to the beach and protesting. And I'm like, yes. Stop it, you know, but uh, I don't know. In in the UK, Simon, did you see the video of like the the crowds of people on London on Westminster Bridge mm. clapping the NHS? It's like what's the Yeah. I, <laughs> in a crowd. It's not wow. just, I've seen it yeah. even in my village where we do the clapping, people aren't really sticking to the six feet two meter distancing. <sighs> it's either people don't believe it. I think people like me who have lost a few people because of it, yeah. we're more appreciative of, of and will stick to things. I won't be the first to run out when they they, they do it. Nope. I will go out because <laughs> at the moment I only go out when I have to. Yeah. But, what, but I will admit I'm desperate to actually just meet and be in the same airspace as some friends. That's what I've missed terribly. But uh, we'll just... I used to find it quite stressful volunteering in a charity shop, and I dropped out of it about a about a year ago. Like I enjoyed part of it, but I found it quite stressful in a lot of times. I've been missing that so much—the <laughs> idea of just there talking to people behind the counter, stacking shelves. I I miss little shops. You know, obviously you've got supermarkets and stuff, but yeah, I miss. I, I miss. Shops I miss. I, although I've got my, I travel around around on my 
mobility scooter, I miss going out and exploring. I, I, this is going to sound, make me sound a bit toffy, I suppose, but <laughs> I do, I do miss going to a museum, uh, or, or even to a bookshop, uh, uh, ye olde bookshops. I just love the smell of them. Yeah. Yeah. I rarely buy stuff from bookshops, yeah. but I love going yeah. in and just taking in the atmosphere. Yeah. Oh, well, isn't there like a whole, there's a whole street in London pretty much, isn't there, of just bookshops? Yes, there's probably is it. But, uh, I know, uh, where I went, I was in Belgium one year, in, um, Brussels, I think I was, and there's a whole street that is just restaurants. Everything, bar one, when I was there, there was one shop that, amongst all these restaurants, that was an art shop. You could go and get your paints <laughs> and your easels and things like that. So I have often thought during this lockdown, I wonder how they're coping. <laughs> On the television, seeing places like Trafalgar Square and Manchester and places in Birmingham completely void of people is very surreal. Well, I've started taking my video camera out with me on dog walks because I'm like, you know, we're not going to get this again. I'll film the empty roads. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm just filming like Guess signs that say, <laughs> yeah, I'm filming just almost B-roll of signs saying closed due to Corona yes. or things like that. And all, all the rainbows that appear to other houses, like it, it, it really puts a smile to my face walking past all these beautifully decorated houses and mm. stuff. Like it's, I think, I think, uh, the, the, the almost wartime spirit yes. that we've got will be something that people will look back on. <laughs> and I hope that community will be better and stronger. I've, uh, I've witnessed uh, a degree of kindness that I didn't always get. And also the, the documentaries or, or reports uh, on things like the planet healing itself. There is yeah. a report that the general air quality in Britain is much better. And it was even in one area, the toxicity was so low that the toxie beaters were throwing up a flag saying they're out of order or something <laughs> or, or faulty, <laughs> wow. which gives you hope. And I hope it's oh, picked yeah. up that maybe some of this uh, saving the planet is not as difficult as some people were implying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, simply just, just not simply doing stuff. Not, it can be really effective. Yeah. And maybe, uh, oh, I don't know. I'm hoping people have learned things. Uh, yeah. My fear is that we'll just all go back to what it back was and the they'll completely forget about it. Uh, so some of the solutions politically are, are very fractious because basically we have a conservative party here, which is right wing. Uh, practicing socialist policies. Mm. What, what the, what we're having to do, uh, to get out of the problem is against our current government's political views, really. Yeah. But there we go. You know, so, but uh, so it will be interesting because the mantra during this is people have to come first. Yes. Whereas really previously, especially for the last 10 years, and if you go back in history, there's many times it was money was more important than people. And that's that's not a, a political with a capital P. That's just a, a statement. <laughs> yeah, it's fact. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think I, I definitely think that there will be, however minor, there will be more of a thirst for people and community. And, we can hope. Yeah. I mean, as as like my my parents being someone and i'm involved with it as well who run a community center i mean it's been real sad to just have to shut that 
But also, yeah, like all of the people there, I mean, we did a community cinema once a yes. month and for elderly people and quite a few people were like, oh, you know what, don't don't bother calling us because we call them every month. Yeah. You know, or we can't really tend to make it or we're not really up yes. for it. Don't Don't bother calling us again. I sort of thought, you know what, I'll just call and check up on everyone, just see how they're all doing. Mm. And so many of them who said, don't bother calling them again, are, oh, do let us know when it's back open yeah. so we can come. Yeah. And it's like, ah. <laughs> we... I mean, the one thing I'm fully conscious of is that I, where I'm living, I'm very lucky I have a back garden so I can get out to that and, and have when, this, when it's sunny, enjoy that. But there must be some families who live in these high-rise flats and have no balcony even. It yeah. must be extraordinarily difficult for them. Yeah. Anyway. Ours is very, very tiny, yeah. but we've still got a back garden. Yeah. And I'd imagine once I finally clear out all the dog business yes. and stuff in the garden, it could look all right. <laughs> so where can our listeners find you on social media, Simon? Yes, they they can find me on my website, which is fisherbecker.info, uh, on Facebook and Twitter. And Robert, where can our listeners find you? Uh, my website, lemmingdrops.com, or social media, Robert E.G. Black. Okay, and our listeners can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero. They can find me on Instagram at the ginger Luke. They can find me on Facebook at Luke Allen Film. And they can find all podcasts, short films, radio appearances, all of that at lukeallen.co.uk. And this podcast is available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Two Men's About Time. And they can join our Facebook group, The Cupboard, to hear us talking about all things about time and this podcast. And this website has reminded me that one outro we could do is the Ferris Bueller outro. So, uh, you're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Go. There we go. Go. <laughs> go. The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. Mm-hmm.